Welcome to Growth Amplifiers. I am Manny Torres. Growth Amplifiers showcases ideas from the top business owners and entrepreneurs to inspire and empower you to thrive in your life, business, and achieve a higher purpose. I'll be sharing actionable insights you can apply towards your business in each session. Growth Amplifiers is dedicated to you, your success, and your fulfillment. Let's get ready to amplify. Hey there, amplifiers. Manny Torres here and excited to have you for another episode of Growth Amplifiers. Today, I'm joined by Todd Randall. He's the CEO of Beachview Coaching. Todd is an eight-time CEO and an, and an inspiring business coach. His business, Enterprise, worships freedom more than money, which is his ultimate secret to success. Todd's latest venture is a coaching practice where he enthusiastically shares his experience with other fellow entrepreneurs. I'm excited to welcome Todd to the show. Hi, Todd. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Manny. I'm really excited and I enjoyed our, our conversation leading up to this interview. Me too. And, and um, you know, we talked about a lot of different things, but today we're going to talk about um, three topics that I thought would be really helpful for our community, our audience of advisors. Uh, and you've got a lot of experience in these areas. So I thought some of the items that you could share could truly benefit them. And I want to start off by um, having you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Okay, sure. I had a, I was a corporate bureaucrat like a lot of folks. I spent 20 or 20 some odd years in big corporate structures. And I found it enlightening and interesting and fun. Um, but eventually I wanted more freedom because I felt like I was kind of at the beck and call of of other folks' strategy. And I didn't feel like I could set my own cultural tone um, with customers and or um, peers. And so I went out on my own. Um, and I probably went out late. I probably could have you know, done my own thing 10 years earlier, but I, I lack confidence. And so I think like a lot of young entrepreneurs do, I kind of was waiting for my moment and then it got to be pretty late. And so I just sprung for it. I opened up a couple of businesses that weren't even my own idea. I just bought the franchise rights um, to a concept and built it up myself. And I thought, well, it's still, it's still my own business, right? It's my customers and my lease and my capital. I'm just using someone else's concept. And those are my training wheels. Um, and at first, I was really kind of ashamed of that, that I didn't have you know, some great, brilliant idea. Um, but um, I soon learned that it was, it was as much fun as I thought it would be running my own business. Um, um, However, it came with some of the same anxieties and struggles and uh, laborious hours that I was used to in the corporate world. And so that really kind of forced me to think, hey, wait a minute, like, what is it about running your own business that's sexy? Because I read about it all the time. You know, I talk to entrepreneurs and they tell me that the world's on fire and they're going to solve it. How do I get that? And um, it really came down to that I was just running it wrong, right? Like I was, I was tackling entrepreneurship as if I was working for somebody else. Um, and so I had to develop tools and ideas and strategies and stuff to be, you know, what I call a, a real entrepreneur, a real business owner, which is somebody whose, you know, job is to set strategy and tone um, and put, you know, align the resources they need to get the job done. Well, that's really interesting. And I think what you've dealt with is things that, you know, a lot of our clients and our, our community also deal with is, you know, how are you able to grow and run a business when you're already working, you know, a lot of hours and you're having challenges getting yeah. everything done. One of the things that was interesting when we chatted earlier that you talked about was delegation. You know, how are you ensuring that you're reducing your 
amount of involvement in the business. And I wanted you to speak to that a little bit in terms of how you went about being able to delegate and get the results that you were looking to get from those yeah. you're delegating to. Yeah. One of the reasons that I say that, you know, um, you know, I was running a quote unquote real business is because there was some point where I just felt like I was taking other people's direction all the time. I was reading something in a journal or I was following my landlord's advice and I was essentially just executing on somebody else's plan. Right. Um, and I felt trapped by that. Right. Um, in fact, there was a time where I was so inundated with small decisions that I felt like only I could make. There are a thousand decisions that only the owner could possibly decide on, right? Um, that my staff came to me and said, look, Todd, there are some decisions that just aren't being made because we can't get an answer from you. And yes, we know you're a very important person because you're a business owner, quote unquote, right? And yes, we know that you are, in fact, burdened by many decisions you have to make every day. But we promise you, you know, some of these decisions we can make for you. And then we won't lose because I was losing key staff or key customers just from a lack of turnaround, right? Someone would come to me and say, I'm disappointed in the work environment. And they would say, oh, that's very important. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. We'll talk to Todd and get, and we'll get right on it. And then a month later, they weren't seeing any, you know, improvement. And so they'd leave in search of, of the, the cultural, you know, uh, difference that they were looking for. Um, and so uh, we just had kind of that come to Jesus moment where my lead manager and I decided that we needed to come up with some plan. Like any plan was better than the plan we had now, which is just waiting on Todd to make all these decisions, right? And so I decided to start with her and it was terrible at first. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, I sent her emails. She'll never let me forget this. I sent her an email one time saying, okay, starting tomorrow, um, you're gonna be in charge of X and such and such. And I you know, put out a little list of things that she would do to make it, to make it happen. And she called me and she's like, this is, this is not enough. Like, if this is what you call a handoff, we are going to fail over and over again. And so we had to come up with, we eventually developed through a lot of failure, right? Um, a five-step process that we used to, to delegate properly. And essentially the whole point here is that my head was full of ideas that were bouncing off each other and they were preventing me from making very important decisions, right? Um, and what we wanted to do was we wanted to take that stress away from me and let me really focus with, with clarity on the things that really mattered. Okay. Now think about that. What are those things? Um, putting money in the bank. It's my money. It's my bank. I have to do that, right? No, no, absolutely not. There's no reason why you can't develop a system that you are confident will get the money to the bank. And there's no reason why you can't trust a person to do that. And there's no reason why you can't build a process that's redundant. So that if that one person fails you, that you have another way of getting it done, right? Those are all things that can be done. And so we just took a big list of things that we thought were very time consuming for me. And we managed them to the point where I wasn't thinking about them anymore. Critical, right? It wasn't handing them off so I don't have to do them. That's actually not the point. The point is handing them off so I don't have to worry about them anymore so that my brain can be focused on things that are important, like opening a second location, like renegotiating with my landlord, right? Like um, formulating a new business concept to support the businesses that we have. Those are things that can two and three X your business. Um, and the rest of the things I was one percenting. Oh, if I don't do this today, then my business will be impacted by one percent. And after a while, you realize that one percent 
is relatively speaking, not that important. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something we say a lot with advisors. It's easy to say, go ahead and, and delegate this, but there's that, that trust issue. There's the, the confidence that you need to make that happen. And I, I think what the challenge many people see is they think they need to do it all at once. And they, they feel like it has to be perfect that first time. Uh, yeah. But what I've learned and what I've seen, you know, with people that we worked with, and I'm sure you've seen the same is if you just start, it it gets easier, right? You build that muscle, you build the confidence, and then you start to realize, hey, this is w- releasing a lot of yeah. weight off my shoulders. And it gives you an opportunity to start to enjoy your business again, right? Because a lot mm-hmm. of times you're getting in the weeds of things that you don't enjoy. And now that frees you up to do those things that maybe bring you energy, bring you joy, bring you happiness. And I yeah. think that once business owners see that, they they start to enjoy it. And then they say, hey, what else can I delegate? Yeah, I t- there are a lot of ways to do it wrong. I'll tell you that because I practiced each and every one of them, I promise you. Um, like for instance, if you hand off a project 70%, um, you've increased your workload. And it seems counterintuitive at first, but remember that if you have like this going to the bank, right? Taking money to the bank is just a simple thing. You should be able to delegate that. But if you delegate it in a way that you're still worrying about it or that you're the backup or that you have meaningful risk if it goes wrong, then the worry is still in your head. You still have to be available. You still have to have keys. You still need to be in the neighborhood. You still you know, you know, still have to be um, staffing in such a way to build a redundancy. And that's that's not our goal. Our goal was to work on something, like you said, patiently right? Until we knew that it wasn't a worry anymore. Like this is completely handed off. I do not need to worry about cash anymore because I have processes in place and we've tested them, blah, blah, blah. In fact, if I can, can I point my uh, five item checklist for delegation? Yeah, that'd be great. So the first thing we we decided is you have to develop trust. And the reason I want to point these out is because they all relate to this one comment. If you don't trust the person that you're delegating to, and if you haven't actively kind of built that trust, eventually what you do is just worry about them all the time. You worry about the, you know, suspicious movements they make, or what if they get hit by a bus, or what if, you know, they go to another company and you lose that person, it's extremely difficult to build a, a system of delegation without trust. And so what we found more than anything else is that you have to actively work on trust. It's not something that just kind of happens um, naturally. It's something you, and so we built skills and we read books and we practiced items um, that allowed us to trust each other actively going forward. So that if we had a miscommunication, we could get right back on step and keep moving. So that was the first thing. The second thing was patience. Patience goes back to the point you just made, which is handing it off 50 or 70% is, is actually more of a burden than it is if you don't. So patience, in fact, Carolina, my manager at the time, she was always telling me, um, that I should expect to redo things that I've handed off to her at least twice before I get upset. (laughs) I like that. You can tell where that comes from. That comes from me being upset before she had enough information, right? Like uh, doing books was another thing because it was financially related. And I thought as an owner, everything that has to do with money has to come to me, right? But in the end, books are something that can be quite relieving for somebody. If you have someone that's doing customer service all day, which can be very stressful, sometimes giving them tasks like bookkeeping is a good way to take their stress down at the end of the day, where they have an hour where they can just focus on a detailed task. Um, And it's not confidential information how much you spend at Amazon, right? So there's no reason why they can't take receipts and then document them just the way you want to, right? 
Now at the end of the month, here's what's going to happen inevitably, I promise, is I'm going to look at them and they're not done exactly the way that I would have done them, right? I can be mad if I want to, but the fact of the matter is that all delegation is a transition of sorts. And if they're not done the way that I want them, it's not their fault, it's mine. Okay. And so she always said, look, just know that you should expect to redo it twice before you have the right to be mad. Because the first time you'll say, oh, I didn't mean for you to upload them to the Google Drive. I meant for you to hard copy them and put them in a folder. Well, that's just miscommunication now. I understand. Right. And the second time is, hey, everything's great. I love what you're doing. By the way, would you please change these to PDFs instead of scan documents? Right. Um, and you can't really step away from that delegation until you've gotten to that point where you're giving very fine, detailed tips. Right. Back to my point of at what point do you stop worrying about it? If every month, if you look in your books and you're like, gosh, darn it, I can't search the way I want to because they use a date format that I didn't. If you say August 6, 2022 versus 6 August 2022, when you go to search three years later, it's all messed up. Okay, so you have to get to that point of redoing it twice. So trust, patience. Uh, third, an escalation format. Um, I guess what I mean, what we meant by that was that there have to be some things that they know they can pick up the phone and bother me at any time of the day. Because delegation is one of those things that once you've handed off to somebody, they can take on a lot of responsibility. They can say, oh my gosh, this I'm ownership now. I'm the owner of this task. The last thing I want to do is bother Todd. And you have to prevent that. You have to work actively again. Like some of these things are not passive skills. Okay, you have to work actively to prevent them, you know, um, not wanting to bother you. There were a lot of negatives in that sentence, but you know what I'm trying to say. There. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of I think it's the Ritz, Ritz Carlton. They have a a procedure or protocol where they allow all their team members to solve a problem up to a certain dollar amount, where it's like you know, up to $500. If it's mm -hmm. going to make the customer happy, you mm -hmm. don't have to get authorization. You just need to do it. So I love that you give that permission to your team members to say, Hey, yep. you know, you can do everything. And if it comes to these items, you can go ahead and interrupt me because it, it's hit a threshold of, you know, something that's important enough and you need my input. That's a perfect example, actually. It's one of the things that we did put in place because I had a couple of retail shops and the managers there were young mid-20s and it was their first kind of big, you know, dose of responsibility. And sometimes they had a hard time judging what's important to me and what's not because the things that are important to me sometimes were not as important to them. And so we did have a dollar amount. It's they could they had a budget where they could go and buy anything they needed for the stores up to X dollars. Anything over that, I wanted to be approved. And in those cases, they always knew they didn't have to worry. They could just reach out to me and I, they weren't bothering me, right? Um, here's another one that you'll appreciate because I had retail stores and I was often out of town or even out of the country. If anyone ever stopped in with a clipboard, automatically cell phone call to Todd, right? Think about all the things that can go wrong there. An auditor comes from a governmental agency, right? And they start asking questions and staff, they don't know the answers often, and they can answer them in a way that could actually be harmful to the business. Right. No, that Just, makes sense. Yeah. Like I'll tell you, I wish that I was coached on this. One time I was doing a business trip to England and I was going to be there about a year or so. And I stopped in at customs and they said, how long are you going to be here? And I thought they were asking, Hey Todd, 
how long are you going to be here? That's what I thought they were asking, but it's not what they're asking. They were an auditor and they were monitoring me for documentation details, right? And I said, oh, on and off for about a year, I expect to come back and forth and I want to see Stonehenge and I'm going to go see the opera and blah, blah, blah. And what they said is, wait a minute, you're going to be in England for a year. You don't have a such and such stamp in your passport, a work, working visa or whatever. And I said, oh, I take that back. I, I'm not going to be here for a year. This project is for a year and I'm going to be coming and going. And they're like, eh, too late. Right now, in that case, if someone stops in with a clipboard and asks one of your staff, so how long have you had a shower in the place? You don't know that that has a Department of Health and Environmental and Construction Code implications. And if you answer without knowing the question, they can say, oh, we'll shut you down until we sort it out. And that can be proved. So escalation pathways is a really important thing. People need to know that they can bother you and when to call when it's urgent, because you can't just assume that your staff or even your partners have the same sense of urgency about some things that you do. Fair? It makes, yeah, so it makes total say? sense. It was a uh, trust, uh, patience, uh, escalation pathways, a uh, coaching, not, not managing. At some point, like at the beginning, it's really important that you micromanage the process. And I know that micromanage is kind of on the outs. You're not supposed to ever micromanage. But in these cases, we found that it was really crucial and both parties really wanted it. Like I would tell her, um, in your hiring interviews, I want you to develop a sense of trust for the person. I want you to develop a sense of competency and I want you to check references. And that's all that's important to me. And she's like, wait a minute, that's not enough. That's not enough. Like I, I need to know how you want me to do that. If you're not going to worry about this, I feel like I'm going to screw that up. So tell me, how would you test someone's integrity? What kind of questions would you like to me to ask? In, in, this, for, in this phase... I want you to tell me what questions to ask. And there's some things that I know that I have better judgment on and you can trust me with just giving me a really macro list like that. But in this case, I want you to micromanage me. And there were times where I asked someone, I gave someone a lot of leash um, and they with very good intent and actually well executed went in a completely different direction than I expected. And so in the beginning, we really recommend that you micromanage the process, over communicate, get all the way down into the weeds for the first say 60, 90 days. But this fourth step is crucial. At some point, you must turn off the micromanagement and start coaching them in a way, like you said, that they feel empowered to spend $500 or they feel empowered to come in early and work overtime to fix a customer's problem, or they feel empowered to change the server in a restaurant to satisfy a customer. Like there's so many things you can do if you feel empowered to, to make the decision. And at that point, instead of saying, I wanted you to do it this way. You have to step back and say, oh, that's an interesting choice. Tell me how that worked out for you, which is a very different way of managing the situation. And what it tells them is that you have their back. You have enough information now to make judgment calls. And sometimes they're going to work out for you and sometimes they're not, but I'm always going to support you. Hey there, this is Kenny from Growth Amplifiers, here to ensure you get your awesome ideas into action to grow and improve your business and achieve your full potential. Take the first step by visiting growthamplifiers.com and clicking the Start Here button. Take the assessment to get your personalized score. Then select from free resources to learn how to improve your score. Don't wait, be proactive and take action now by visiting growthamplifiers.com and clicking the Start Here button. And always keep on amplifying. Now, 
Let's get back to the show. That's a great point. You know, when we're working with, you know, uh, team members that we're onboarding or, or helping our clients with that, mm-hmm. that's the, the toughest point because you want to micromanage, but you also want to get to a point where they're not reliant on you. And the yeah. only way you get that is by coming with more questions than answers, right? So when they come to you, instead of giving them the next step, you say, what do you think you should do? And it, it allows them to start to get that creative uh, problem solving skill and strengthen that and build that confidence, as you said. So mm-hmm. I, I agree that's a vital step. And I love how you started with the start with the micromanage and then transition so that you you give them that solid foundation and you build that that confidence and then you help them grow as a person and mm-hmm. as a better employee for your team. Yeah, it, the, I think the critical, the critical factor is why. You have to get from what, like what do you do, how do you do it, where do you write it, how do you write it, what's, what's the font size, and you need to get to the why. It needs to be big enough so a person can read it from six feet. Oh, okay, now they can make their own decisions about it. And they can use a different pen, or they can use a different format, or they can write in cursive, or they can do it typed. But at least now they know why it needs to be those sizes or forms or fonts or whatever. Um, and if you get to the why, then you'll find that they exercise better judgment and it prevents them. This is a killer is that four months from now, let's say for instance, something comes upon them that they didn't expect and they become paralyzed with fear because they don't know what you would do. And that delay can sometimes be really costly. So you want them to be able to make an educated decision based on conversations you've had in the past, but to make a decision or they'll get, they'll, they'll be paralyzed, right? So we've got the four steps. So trust, what's our, our fifth step? Yeah, trust patience, escalation paths. What was the fourth one? Uh, coach, coaching, coaching not, not micromanagement. And then fifth, you have to build some redundancies in. Even if you're really good at the first four steps, what happens is if you can become overly dependent upon one person, right? And then you end up staying awake all night worried about losing that one person, right? What if they get pregnant? What if they join the military? What if they have a health concern? What if they move across the country? There's so many reasons that are not your fault that someone might you know, stop being in your employee um, and you na- need to build some natural redundancies around it. And if you're transparent about that, it doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be um, a threat to your staff member. Like people want to be um, um, irreplaceable, right? But in any small business, when you have less than say 30 or 50 staff, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as irreplaceable, right? Everybody is a loss if they go. And so as an owner, you need to have some redundancies and some cross trainings, et cetera. And they should be on board with that because someday if they're one of your good managers, they want to manage a larger team and they're going to want this, they're going to want this, you know, ability in their team to be able to say, oh, I'm so sorry that you know your wife is having a health concern. Of course, I support you going home and being with her over the next couple of months. Um, your understudy will come in and not as well as you. We wish it was you, but not as well. We, we will at least be able to care for the business while you go take care of your yourself. And so you need to have some redundancy plan. I like that. It, it reminds me of a story one of my mentors told me, and he was instilling a similar process in his business and they were like, you're just trying to make us replaceable. And he's like, exactly. Yes. But <laughs> yes, the reason why this is important is, hey, you want to go on vacations. You want to do things. You want to have flexibility. And mm-hmm. if you're the only one that understands how to do this, 
then you're not going to be able, you're going to be tied to this desk. You're going to be stuck here. Now, from what you've told me of your goals and where you want to be, this is going to help you get there. And it, it really sunk in a little bit with them. And he said, for the ones that still are struggling, it's like, Hey, you don't have to do this, but if you want to work here, you do. And it, yeah, I've been stuck by it before myself. And so I learned the lesson the hard way. Like most of my lessons I've learned in the hard way. I was, a a particular, I was a unique salesperson for this environment. I had skills that no one else in my company did. And so I went and I took care of one of our large customers and that customer was, was very needy. They were a very big customer. There was lots of opportunity. Um, they had some things that needed to be fixed. And so I was in there all the time. Right. And for a couple of years, I was crushing it. And I thought this is my time to be promoted it promoted because look at, look at me, look at all the great work I'm doing. And to my bosses, they kept passing me over for, for promotions that I was very well qualified for. And from my opinion, and I didn't realize until later that I had made myself irreplaceable. And that was to my detriment because what happened was they had these great posts open up and they thought, well, Todd would be good at that. No problem. How do we replace Todd at uh, Intermountain Healthcare? Oh, there's really no one that can do that job. So we have to leave Todd there for the time being. And until I realized that I needed to develop a team that could all step in and help me if I was out, I had completely blocked my ability to be promoted at that company. I like it. Yes. And and it makes sense. Um, I want to step on to the the next topic. Sure. Uh, and we've touched on this a little bit in terms of efficiency with your team. So how do you optimize that team and their output? And obviously, some of the things that you've talked about before about you know being able to create those processes, being able to have other people be able to um, execute on those processes. But how do you really build that efficient team? Yeah, efficiency is tough. Um, and I it's never been a huge goal of mine to be efficient per se. Um, I had a list of things that need to be done. And as a small entrepreneur, as like a growth startup, it's more important that you get the task done, even if it's inefficient. Um, now, efficiency really comes into play when you have an established business, established customers, et cetera. And for me, um, I break it down into a couple of elements. I think you need to look for redundancies. You need to have a master plan, right? And um, you need to hire competent professionals. I think, you know, hiring good staff is the key to many things in business. But um, hiring people because they're cheap uh, ends up biting you in the ass in the long run. Um, so I recommend against it. That that dovetails right into my next question for you, which is your client mix. Because a lot of times people have a tendency to hire cheap because they they don't value what they're, they're selling. They're mm -hmm. not pricing it appropriately. And then that leads to maybe taking on the wrong type of clients. Um, yeah. You know, what are your recommendations of how people can elevate the clients that they're working with so that they can deliver more value and really enjoy what they're doing and be able to bring in some of those A players? Yeah, I'm a big fan of, um, I hope that your members and clients follow a, a fellow by the name of Seth Godin. I'm, I'm not sure he invented the concept, but he is the biggest advocate for the sense of tribe. Um, and what I mean by tribe is that there are people in the universe that you can bring a unique amount of value to, like no one else in the world can. Um, and the question is, are you serving those people? Are you serving those people? Because if you are, and you do bring unique value to them, they will sing your praises so that everybody in their tribe knows about you and trusts you. And it brings the onboarding process 
you know, down easier. There's a word I'm looking for there, but you get the point, right? It makes the process of onboarding easier. It makes the process of lead generation easier. It makes your sales closing percentage go higher. It allows you to charge a premium because those folks value you more than your customers. And so then the question is, how do you find your tribe? And that is to self-assess. You need to really self-assess clearly on what your true value is, right? Because you probably do bring more value in some specific space. And if nothing else, just go back to your past. Like I worked in the, um, in healthcare, in the wholesale business, and I have a lot of sales experience behind me. And so when I evaluate businesses to purchase or businesses to turn around or clients to bring on, especially clients to bring on, um, I'm always looking to see if there are some ties there, right? Because their trust for me that my credibility with those clients or my credibility with those businesses as I go to acquire them goes up because I, I have this, I have the capital maybe. Or I have the um, I have the position to acquire or direct or consult, but there's also that little something extra, that little something extra that builds alignment and builds trust, et cetera. And so the fact that I've had a lot of sales jobs in the past, or the fact that I've been in wholesale in the past, um, is my way of finding unique value when I look at a company or when I look at a at a client. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and I love the thought of the tribe. Uh, one of the things that we always remind people of is really identify who that ideal client that you love working with. Yeah. And the more that you can communicate to them, they feel like it's it's specific and it's made for them. And then the other benefit of that is right now there's a shortage of labor out there. There's a lot of competition to mm -hmm. find those qualified people. Yeah. But the more that you can define who it is that you serve and, and who you enjoy working with, that's going to resonate to someone and they're going to say, hey, you know, I want to join this this group because they work with the type of business or person or industry that I really enjoy working with. And the more that you can communicate that message out, it's going to resonate and draw it right yeah. back to you. I always find that coming from this side is way more effective than coming from the other. Like, for instance, I know that uh, some of the accounting firms and lawyer firms uh, these days are going to a membership model because it works so well for massages and it works so well for Cairo and it works so well for gyms, et cetera, this kind of residual revenue um, strategy, right? And so a lot of these folks are like, gosh, if I can just get a, a hundred clients to pay a thousand dollars a month. That gives, delivers, you know, 1.2 million in revenue to me. And that's my goal. So what I really need is I need a hundred clients. And my answer to that is no, absolutely not. I don't think that'll get you there. Eventually what you'll be doing is you will be dismissing clients and neglecting them because you want to get a hundred of them. And what it does is it minimizes, it kind of um, detracts from their uniqueness, all those hundred. My goal is to find 20 and not from that direction, not 20 people who will hire you. 20 people who you provide unique value to. And I promise you, if you if you provide discerning value to those 20, they'll recommend another 20. Next thing you'll have 100, but you'll grow in such a way so that those clients are very sticky. They don't want to go anywhere else. I, I can tell you from my own personal perspective that uh, about four years ago, my business started to get pretty complicated. And my bookkeeper, who was the perfect bookkeeper for me, tax accountant bookkeeper, she was perfect for me when I had a couple simple businesses that were quite transactional. When I started to get more complicated, she wished she could answer the questions more profoundly that I was having. She wished that she could provide more strategy. And so I went looking for firms and I ran into a lot of firms that were looking for their 67th client out of 100. 
or they're looking for their 79th client out of a hundred. And when they talked to me, they weren't, they weren't seeing that they wanted to provide value. And so I even hired some of them because I thought their experience was a good fit. And they treated me like number 67 or number 79. And when I called them and I said, Hey, I have this big decision coming up and I need some insight. They weren't making time for me to sit down for an hour, one hour. I would gladly pay someone $500 an hour to sit down and strategize with me about what my books are going to look like six months from now. And they were head down doing my books every month and filling out forms for me every month, right? And then they had a sales team that was spending an hour with prospects because they wanted number 81 and number 94, right? And I promise you that if they would have stopped, spent an hour with me, I would have seen discerning value to them and I would have stayed with them. But, But instead I left. We say that a lot. And in, in that case, you have a transaction versus a partnership. And, you know, I see accountants and bookkeepers and CPAs a, as a partner with you and yeah. your business. And they really oh, shouldn't yeah. just be thinking about what happened in the past and how do we record on that? Mm-hmm. But how do we look and say, where are you looking to go? How can we help you get there? How can we be a partner with you? And if everybody wins, you know, it helps everyone out. And yeah. as you said, you build that raving fan that's going to recommend you to everyone that they meet. I hired a bookkeeper for my uh, gyms and spas and I hired a different bookkeeper for my consulting practice because of different experiences. And then I purchased a business and I hired a different uh, accounting firm for that transaction because it was just outside the realm of expertise. And every time that I went to them, I was hoping to find, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this in the future. Do you have any experience? Can you recommend someone? Do you have a referral? Do you have an outside consultant that comes in and helps you? And nobody was thinking about that. And in the end, if I would have found somebody five years from now, they could have done the books for eight different companies. They would have helped me sell three companies. They would have helped me buy two, right? And I've grown about six times in revenue in the last four years. And they'd be managing a business that's six times as big. And you know, there's more revenue associated with that. And I would have been a win for somebody if they would have taken the time and, and spent it with me. So um you know, please don't, please don't be part of that mix, right? Where you're dismissing or neglecting clients that you can grow with. I like that. And, you know, it all comes down to listening, right? Just having a conversation, asking some questions and learning more about who you're working with and whether it's you providing the value to them, or as you mentioned, recommendations, those are just as valuable and it still endears that person to you. Um, Todd, I want to run into our next section, which is going to be our Can I make one more comment before I go? Yes. Because I feel like we just, I just laid this at the feet of accounting firms as their responsibility. <laughs> I just have to say that I made the mistake of running into a couple of firms that were very expensive and I wasn't making the value transition to them either. There were folks that could have helped me and I felt like I couldn't afford them at the time. And I was blaming them for being too expensive. And, and as a business owner, I think there are a couple of things that if you run into someone that's a perfect fit for you, pay that attorney, find a way to pay that attorney because you'll want them five years from now to have a relationship with you. Accountants, attorneys, those are relationships that maybe as soon as you can spring for. I like that recommendation. Yeah. Because many times we look at the short term versus the long term. Yeah. And sometimes they're going to find that value and they're going to pay for themselves right off the bat. Yeah, so, so that's I my side. I, I got I to acknowledge my part in that in that mess. <laughs> I think we all share that that uh, trepidation yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to run into our advisor picks. So this is a lightning round where you're going to share some things that you enjoy. Um, so first off, we have a product to, productivity tool or resource. Is there something that you like to use to help with your productivity? Um, I'm a big fan of uh, software tools. 
for this kind of stuff because I'm on my phone, I'm on my computer all day long. And so all I'm saying is that instead of having 13 or 14 tools in front of me, I've taken the tools that I already have, like Microsoft products, Outlook and QuickBooks, and I just make them do absolutely everything that they possibly can. Even if it's not as good as another tool on the market, I like having four tools and I, you know, I go to YouTube classes and I sign up for courses online and I get to know them really well. I think small business owners get caught up in what's new and sexy instead of using the tools that are right in front of their faces. I like that. And I'll, I like asking the question, who, not how, right? So it's like, instead of trying to always search and it's like, who's an expert at this that I could just ask that mm. could shorten yeah. that, that time frame for me to learn that. Yeah. Uh, so next, uh, do you have a, a, a book that you're reading or a podcast that you enjoy listening to? Uh, not really right now. I'm, I'm in the trenches of trying to fix a business. And so I'm, I'm all on deck for that. Um, in the past, I really like Scott Galloway. He has a podcast and a, um, a newsletter uh, as strategy. Um, he's a, like a university professor that try to, tries to think pretty big picture. And sometimes he gives examples that are super relevant and practical to your business. So I recommend him. He's great. The other one too, um, that I've already mentioned once is Seth Godin. He's the only blog that I read once a day. Nobody else can command my time on a daily basis. And he he's extremely succinct. Um, and he gives a metaphor about half the time that I can find completely relatable to the business at hand. Yeah, Seth has some great content. Well, excellent. Well, um, you kind of touched on the, the next question I have, which is thought leader. So mm -hmm. Seth's a, a great thought leader, sure. someone that mm -hmm. everyone should check out if you haven't already. Mm -hmm. um, Todd, really enjoyed chatting with you, learning about your five-point process and learning how you've been able to delegate and create efficiency and elevate the clients that you work with. Um, if someone in our audience wants to connect with you or find out more about you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? I have a, a Facebook group that I call Beachview Coaching. And um, it's, you know, I help people build, build real coaching businesses um, and real small businesses. And the emphasis is on the real because I think that lots of folks want to be entrepreneurs, um, but they're not willing to put the fundamental uh, principles uh, in play to make it happen. So that's the best place to check me out. I have all kinds of material up there and you can kind of get a sense for how I lead and how I uh, counsel. Um, and, uh, we, sometimes we just help each other instead of, you know, making it be a practical engagement. It's called real business coaching and it's a Facebook group. Excellent. Well, check out that Facebook group. We'll put a link in the show notes. And Great. again, we really appreciate having you here today on growth amplifiers. Hope you have a wonderful day. It's a pleasure talking to you, Manny. Cheers. To show your support, take a moment to amplify this message by sharing it online. To connect with me or gain more business growth insights, visit www.growthamplifiers.com. Thank you for your support.